I have to be delusional enough to think people are going to listen to this. It's thunderstorming outside. There's lightning. Hit me with it. Come on. How smart can you be when you have huge man tits? Okay, he, him. Go put your pronouns and go sit in the corner. I'll take care of this. It's just common sense. Hey, Heifer. How you doing? Great. How are you? Doing well. It's been about a year since we last had you on the podcast, Heifer. Isn't that crazy? You were like guest number five. Yes. I think I'm six months pregnant. Yeah, that it's, makes sense. It's so weird to think about. And so the delivery was kind of hectic. You had an emergency C-section? Yes. So I was in labor for 21 hours. I think my water broke at like five in the morning. And then I woke Ox up at like 6.30. I'm like, okay, I'm finally done. I took a shower uh I did my hair and my makeup and I'm like hey I think it's time to go to the hospital I think my water broke and he's like why aren't you freaking out right now like you should have woke me up when this became an issue like we need to go now and then I'm like actually can we go to Chick-fil-a first for <laughs> this is not medical advice but for the dudes listening, when your wife's water breaks, I thought it was like the movies, like her water broke, there's going to be a baby popping out in 15 minutes. Yeah, it's not like that. And she's not going to be able to eat until she gives birth. So if it doesn't feel urgent and you're not having extreme contractions or whatever, get food. Yeah. I mean, she's mm -hmm. eating for 24 hours yeah and you don't get to eat until um like all of the medicine kind of wears off emergency c-section is always kind of a, a risk during the labor if the baby's not turning the right way or umbilical cord or anything any kind of risk that can happen they don't give you food because they don't want it interacting with the drugs like if you get anesthesia which i got the epidural between like the 16 hour mark of my labor that's when my contractions started to really just like I, I I pretty much my blood pressure kept fluctuating so I was like I can't focus anymore give me the freaking epidural mm -hmm. and um with that like I wouldn't have been able to take that if I ate the epidural honestly might have saved the baby's life too because it caused complications with her blood pressure I remember I'm sitting there and it's going to be a reoccurring theme here. She's extremely calm and doesn't care. I'm like freaking out. Oh my God. And, uh, so I'm watching her blood pressure dip into like 98 over 40, like pulse rate down to like 38. Like I'm like, your heart is like not pumping right now. So because of that, that's where they're like, okay, we're going to have to do the emergency C-section and all that. And if it wasn't for that, he was facing the wrong way and his umbilical cord was around his neck. So had that not happened, there is a much better chance something bad happened to the little guy. So it ended up actually being like a blessing in disguise. But yeah, it was uh, normally in stressful situations. I'm this super calm, cool one. But I think it's because I had no control of the situation. Yeah, I was a, uh, yeah, I was a mess. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I had no idea it was that intense. I just thought the C-section was the right thing to do in the moment. I didn't realize it was like, no, 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 we need to do this right now. The doctors were so calm that I was calm. I'm like, oh, no big deal. Until the, your heart rate started dropping. Oh, yeah. I mean, then that's when they, they start started to freak out. They're like, we were going to give you the option of vacuum if you wanted to opt for that, but we can't do that at this point. And I'm like, oh okay so this is actually serious yeah they started scrambling and like their tones changed up they're like running for the doctor and all that and that's when I was like fuck <laughs> and it's just that can happen to anyone random yeah. chance because like anything can happen mm. you can have everything going right for you and then just like on a whim a switch flips you know yeah but the good news is everyone's healthy yeah I Oh, oh yeah. Having a tummy ache or something? No, pneumonia. <laughs> Has he gotten sick yet, the baby? Yeah, twice yeah. or three times so far. Just his are minor, super, just colds. He'll his really only lasts like four days max. 
It's funny because I haven't gotten sick with him yet. The only time I've gotten like quote unquote sick is getting mastitis, but that's completely unrelated. I don't know what mastitis is. It is an infection in the breast, but I've gotten it a few times. And the only way you can really get rid of it other than antibiotics is humping your boob. Okay. Question on that. Breastfeeding, is it worlds better than baby formula for the baby? Yes, it is perfectly made for your baby. Anytime he gets sick, the antibodies in the breast milk make him not sick anymore. Wow. Like your breast milk composition changes based on his needs. There's so many benefits to it too. Like you're not spending a million dollars on formula and anytime that he's breastfeeding, oxytocin's released. So you're getting like that cool, like bonding connection with your baby you're getting the big one what calories oh yeah you can eat more when you're breastfeeding because you're burning calories but some people go overboard um you only burn about 500 calories a day when you're breastfeeding like extra so you supplement with about 500 extra Mm. okay so definitely breastfeeding is the newest way it's the newest form of ozempic what were some of the things that you did not expect about parenting that are both the the good parts that you weren't ready for and then maybe some of the the harder parts that you weren't expecting. See, I've tried to think about this, but I don't really have any negative feedback with parenting. I guess just like prioritizing myself is so much harder, but I want to do everything for him. So I'm like, I'll put myself on the back burner. I still prioritize Ox, but not as much as chat right now i thought it'd be harder it's easier parenting but i also have the advantage of time uh freedom so i don't really i don't have a schedule at any given time so i can i don't ever feel like i'm missing out on time with him because i can spend an hour with him whenever i want throughout the day but i thought it'd be a lot harder i'd say the hardest part about parenting to me is the unknowns because you can have a plan in your head and oh, when this happens, I'll do this, and this happened, and that's a naive way to look at things, because there's just so much you don't know, and so much that will happen that's out of your control, and so it's like, even I was guilty of this, like, oh, I'm going to do this, and this, and this, and then when you get there, it's kind of like, okay, it's like improvise, adapt, overcome, you kind of have to just make the best decision at the time, and then you're not you're not thinking about things like, oh, what happens when he gets sick, which is, even if it's a cold, it's terrifying, or just within their development, little things they do, like, you should have a plan, but then also understand that your plan is completely going to go to shit, and you're going to have to use common sense. I was thinking about that when I was, like, preparing for this conversation, just that your guys' position is really unique, because you've already, you know, you're not hurting for cash, but you also have all the time that you want. Like you can make your own schedule. Very few young parents have that unless they are like trust fund kids, right? I mean, yes. I, I'm interested to hear more about like, how do you spend your days then? You know, do you is it all day with the baby? Are you still doing the business stuff? Does the time matter less to you now? Because- you already set, you just want to spend time with your son. How do you keep the intellectual pursuits going? All those types of things. So with me, um, I pretty much put everything that is not involving Chad, like on the back burner, like Substack. I haven't written one in probably two months. Two months, I didn't really care about doing anything else. I was just like, cool, I'm going to hang out with the baby. Then not in a bad way. I don't mean this in like a negative way, but then you get bored because like, especially with two parents at home, there's only so much you can do. It was much easier for a period to get very complacent because it's like, okay, cool. I don't have to worry about money or anything like that. So it's like the, the ambition to add an extra zero or an extra comma to your bank account is kind of like, eh, like, is it going to make me happier? No, because your, your child starts becoming your base of happiness, but you kind of get out of that honeymoon period to where like, it's kind of took it easy this year, but like going into next year, it's more back to like 10, 12 hour days, no days off, stuff like that. But I will say 
other things like the gym diet and all that it's an excuse to be like, like oh no just because it's still it's only taking an hour out of your day every a few days a week and sorry i got the baby kicking and all that it only <laughs> takes so much of your time dieting i mean you have to eat anyway so it's like and am he gonna, has to eat too. Yeah, it's like, am I going to eat bad or good? You've got to eat anyway. So that's still easy. But just, uh, oh, I have more free time than I want to have. I'll put it that way. It's not a bad thing because there's something called, uh, what is it, attachment theory? And essentially, the more time that your child spends around mom and dad, but in most contexts, it's usually not enough time around dad. Mm. Um, you have worse outcomes the less time they're around their parents. When you have better outcomes, the more they're around their parents. Very uh, interested to see the difference between him and I have other friends right now that have babies that work, you know, 40, 60, some of them even 80 hours a week. So I'm very curious to see how his development and my relationship with him differs from theirs because there hasn't been a day really that he hasn't seen me for at least eight hours a day. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like the best of both worlds where you're not chasing the dollars anymore. It's just like winning. I don't know, building something is your your new pursuit. It's it's a great place to be. What are you guys doing in terms of education or just things that you're doing with him? Because I heard you guys tweet that he's doing really well and he's developing quickly, like with all of his different motor skills and things like that. So what's your kind of plan for that? Um, with Chad, we just kind of, we take him out a lot and He's like around his grandparents a lot, his nieces and nephews. Um, we try to expose him to adults all the time too. Uh, the wording on that, man. <laughs> Have him around adults <laughs> so that he can like see facial expressions and like really understand tonality and body language, right? If you have them around really expressive people early on they kind of pick up on cues and that helps with their development with uh language body language everything really as much as i make fun of jordan peterson he did have he said something that really like stuck to me and it's, it checks out with the logic and it's by the age of four your child should be liked by parents and accepted by his peers. If not, they're going to have a much harder life because if you have a bad kid, parents are always going to be lying to them and their peers are always going to give them a hard time. Mm. So that's kind of something that we try to practice and really instill in him is getting around people. And that way he can learn how to interact. So he's not like this antisocial kid or it's also keeping him away. This isn't an issue yet. He's eight months, but keeping him away from the wrong people. Uh, there's some people in my life he's not going to spend a lot of time with because they're very negative. They're very overly cynical. Really nothing good ever comes out of their mouth or there's lower brow, lower class people. I don't mean like financially. I mean like morals. Just Yeah, they're just not necessarily good people and it's limiting his time around them and making sure he's like, my grandparents are the best example. Like we want him around them all the time. Yes. He's like, they're like, they're like that picturesque story. They've been together for like almost 50 years. Good people. So that's who we want them around. But then outside of that, it's just, it's again, and it's that kind of comes back to the attachment theory. Why I believe he's developing so well, other than he's getting a lot of really good nutrition. Yes. But it's that uh, we're around him. So we can, when he's starting to pick himself up and hold himself, like stand on his own, we're able to kind of coach him through it. Whatever is crawling, we're kind of able to coach him through it all day. Going from crawling to standing, you do that multiple times. So you start building that like that movement pathway and stuff like that. That makes a ton of sense. And I remember when we were talking about this last heifer that you were planning on homeschooling. Is that still the idea? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. It's going to be very objective based and very like Obviously, teach them how to read, write, right, and math. do all the basic stuff that a, that a person needs to do to intellectually succeed in the world. But then it's going to be the way we're going to do it is very based to like their inclinations and their natural skills. So instead of like, if he's got shaky hands and no business ever touching a tool, I'm not going to like be like, oh, yeah, it's time to take shop class. You need to learn how to 
do this. Like it's going to be, if he can't use a computer to save his life, it's not going to make sense to teach him how to code. Like find what his strengths, what are. His strengths are and, and really own those in so that whatever he decides to do in life, he's going to be, instead of going through a general 12 year education, he's going to have a more advanced level of education and the things that are actually going to benefit him later in life versus just like, oh yeah, let's teach you calculus right now just because, oh, that's what they say we're supposed to do. Right. Super cool. And I remember you mentioning that you wanted to bring in like experts in the field or like tutors. Yeah, that's more like past the basics. Are you going to try to encourage him towards entrepreneurship? Yes, obviously. Uh, But we're not going to like say, this is what you have to do. We're just going to be that supportive parent. My opinion on is if we teach them the right things in life, that will likely be a natural outcome. When you teach them the truth of the world, that will probably end up a natural outcome. But if, let's say he wants to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, astrophysicist, whatever he wants to do, that's like ultimately we want him to do what's going to make him the most fulfilled yeah. and not have like a dollar attachment to it either. Like, oh, yeah. I don't really care about medicine, but doctors make a lot of money. Like we don't, our goal is to eliminate that part of it, but also not, he's going to be spoiled, don't get me wrong, but not <laughs> create the, the bad relationship with work. We want him to know that work is largely what you do. It's kind of what gives you purpose in life. And you want to find something that, yeah, money's great, but actually fulfills you and actually like challenges you mentally. It's just going to be find his strengths and just double, triple down on them. Yeah. Interesting. I think um, my boyfriend and I talk about like homeschool versus private school a lot. Like, I mean, he went to a fantastic public school and learned a lot, did classes he wasn't going to gonna think that would be cool to him. Like he liked physics, but he also liked his psychology class and things like that. So he's more so on the private school side. I think the homeschool is better for the reasons you guys are describing. Like if your kid is really advanced in a certain area, it doesn't matter how good the standardized school is. They can't cater to them. It's hard to get that super specific training or that specific um, tutoring. So I I go back and forth on it too. I'm not sure yet, but I'm interested to see how it works for you guys. And it sounds like I mean, the kid's going to be set up. I'm not worried about that. But um, what's your take on giving kids like money and spoiling them? What What do you think about that? That's another one of the unknowns. Yeah. I don't know. I could be like, well, he needs to strike it out on his own. He needs to become self-made and do all this. But also, we want to give him all the advantages he can get. I'm trying to think of an example. Let's Let's pull up Donald Trump. Like... His dad, the small loan of a million dollars. Obviously, it's a joke. That's not a small loan. But if he's not entitled and he's acted, you know, he's not some spoiled trust fund kid that doesn't want to work and no work ethic. If he's actually showing this initiative and this drive and all that, then I don't really see an issue of being like, hey, here, let me let me help you out. But if we just don't want to create that stereotypical snobby rich kid that has no work ethic and just thinks the world owes them everything because um that's just not that's not good for anyone in the equation yeah yeah and i think the fact that you guys will have such a strong presence with him because all of the rich kids that i know were picked up from school by nannies or by drivers and then they were taken to practice by somebody else and then they came home and they didn't have dinner together like you can give them nice things but you can also like be a huge presence in their life and i think that the huge reason why these kids are jerks is A, because they're spoiled and B, because they were kind of ignored by their parents. I think that has a huge role in it too. I agree. I think you just set standards and you set a level for what is acceptable, what's not. Yeah. And the biggest thing to me is because I don't have the answers. I don't know what the best way to do it is. It's just to lead by example. Um, like I said, like earlier this year, I was kind of just more complacent. Like, it was like, okay, we're good. I just want to spend time with him. But then I start to think about it. It's like, is that what he, is that what I want him to see? Mm. So I want him to see a dad that's like, because that's where he picks, he'll pick up that relationship and be like, well, my dad has money and, you know, he doesn't really do much. He just hangs out with us and all that. 
So he's going to think that's that's the way you should do it, which that doesn't even make me happy. So it's not. So for me, it's like I'm not ever going to be the dad that's oh I got a business trip and I'll be away for a month and then when I get back I'll be in my office for you know you'll see me two hours a day. Truthfully, I plan to still do it as much as I can at home, um, but I want him to see that I work mm-hmm. and that I work hard. The rewards and not just the financial whatever rewards of work, but just that it it makes you happier. It gives you purpose. Yeah. So it's kind of setting the standard for him. Like this is what's acceptable. This is what's not. We're not going to live beneath what's acceptable for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mom always says that like. If you raise your kids well between the ages of zero and seven or eight, like that's where you do the really hard parenting. It's so much easier after and they're so much more respectful after. It's like those very impressionable years when they're so young where you can spoil them so easily. My mom has always said that those ki- the kids that are ignored at that age or are given everything are the ones who turn out to be difficult in the future. Because I actually had a unique upbringing because my dad was a mortgage broker before... Until 2008, we'll put it that way. Then that, uh, yeah, obviously, it was not a good industry to be in. And I was kind of given everything, but there was still this level of like, you had to work hard. Like, there wasn't, like, here's all the stuff and all this, but like, especially sports, my dad was extremely hard on me, not in a toxic way, but just really pushed me. And that developed a big work ethic. And they independently, like, my parents had us way before preschool already doing like hooked on phonics and stuff like that and there was always things to do plus things like chores too which i hated it back then but looking back like i never had a problem working because it was like work is just expected and you do it and they were really good at like it's kind of sad they would use like friends that were more like slavish and have gross houses and they would be like now this is why we do chores because you see the grime and the mold, it's gross, right, kids? You'd be like, oh, yeah, that's gross. So, like, that's why you do this stuff and blah, blah. So, they explained, like, just really good cause effect, stuff like that. I don't think the equation's just all like, oh, you got everything you want. I'm not sure how much that, and mine's just a unique experience, I guess, but also, like, because there's a lot of lazy people, poor people that don't get stuff, but then they're also not taught, they're taught that that's kind of okay. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fine line. I think more important than anything is, like I said, like setting those principles and those standards and like, but explaining to them why, why you do the stuff you do. Because I think, I know this from the military, just being, hey, we're doing this because I said so, does not work nearly as good as, hey, we're doing this. Here's why. Here's the cause and effects. Here's the second, third order of effects of doing these things and blah, blah. And it makes you, it gives you purpose with your task instead of like, oh, mom's just making me do chores again. Ox, I'd like to get your take on a conversation on Twitter from a week or so ago. We were talking about how, like you you mentioned 2008. So in 2008, I was eight years old and I remember the world crashing down and feeling so concerned about money. And I was in an area that was very wealthy and I saw like what my neighbors had and what I didn't have. And, and not that I didn't have much, but just like the, the tense, like how are we going to make the bills? Like all just the, the stress and the tension about it. And I think that that's a huge reason why like I joined the jungle and why I'm like trying to figure something out to be resilient on my own is because of that experience when I was younger. And for a lot of people growing up that I'm sure that's, they can relate to that. And then people like Bowtie Bull would say, people who grow up wealthy have such a advantage over that, even without that quote unquote chip on their shoulder. You know, they have so much, um, you want to give them every advantage. You were just saying that. Do you think there's any value to the chip on your shoulder growing up that says, I want to succeed for all of these reasons that a rich kid can't have? Or do you think it's just not even comparable? They have so much more um, access and advantages that maybe a middle-class kid doesn't have. I would say the chip on your shoulders are survivorship bias. That there are some people that grow up in these terrible circumstances and they do end up doing great things. And a big reason for that was because I had bad things that does happen, but I don't think it's that common because most people, uh, there's numbers on this, but whatever socioeconomic class you're born into you end for up. a lot of people, what you end up dying as is that mm-hmm. socioeconomic class. So, um, cause yeah, I had it both ways too, where before 2008, so I'd be like 10, 11 years old, like 
I got to experience the other side of the railroad tracks of having everything and blah, blah. Then after that, then my parents get divorced and all this. And then I have a mom on government assistance for food. So I, I got to see both sides of the tracks and it, it all comes down to, I truly, in my opinion, just what are the values instilled? Because you could, we could have lost everything and they've been like, that's just the way the world works. It's just, it's not fair, blah, blah. And I could have carried that with me in life and been like, well, even if I try hard, it doesn't matter. Like you can just get fucked over. Where the, my parents were never like that. And even after my mom ended up starting a business, becoming very successful and my dad bounced back as well. So I got to see that you can, it, it taught me a valuable lesson that even though you have it all, you can very fastly lose it all. But even if you do lose it all, if you still keep that, abundance mindset you're still pursuing opportunity you can make it all back mm -hmm. i think wealthier people have the advantage um if they're doing it right and i think they'll a lot will do it right because they have to get to that position that they already had that mindset they already had that those that way of thinking that, that like rich versus poor mindset they had that so they were able to teach that to their kids and so now their kids have that and there's just so many kids in that, in the lower socioeconomic groups that like, yeah, they just get taught like, and, they, and a lot of the people end up there, not all, but a lot end up there because they don't work hard. They don't have this good mindset about money. They don't defer gratification and all that. So then their kids pick that up and you get the outliers that will break that. But there's a region that a lot of people call it a generational curse. Mm -hmm. And uh, for every... For every one person that does make it out, there's still nine kids that didn't. I think the rich versus poor mindset is very true. Like I, the only reason I unlearned that is through the jungle. The idea that like stop worrying about how much you're spending on coffee and like, you know, budgeting out your groceries every week to save an extra ten dollars a week. That's just the wrong thing to be focusing on. Um, a hundred percent agree that that's like a huge advantage that rich kids have. So then. My other question is, I know a bunch of wealthier kids, like upper middle class kids, went to school with me, got some sort of job, and now they're kind of like aimless. They're they're drifting, like they have a job, but it doesn't matter. They're partying on the weekends. Like, like how do you avoid that if you do give your kids those advantages? There's really only so much a parent can do, if you think about it. Like, if you had all the answers, every kid on this planet would be in a good place. If mm -hmm. they would to, I mean, because all parents mean well and they want the best for their kids. So if they listen to everything their parents said, the world would be a much better, wealthier place. But it comes down to, um, are they just going to find hedonism and just these nihilistic hedonists that are like, oh, you know, nothing really matters. Like, I just want to have fun, blah, blah, blah. But the best way to create a positive likelihood is going to teach him like the, the classic philosophers, they're their value systems, like the, the ethic, the Aristotles of this world, that the meaning of life isn't this like comfortable, especially Nietzsche, like it's not this comfortable existence where you just want to get by and just feel good all the time, where it's like struggle and the pain and suffering of life is what, it's what gives life meaning to a degree. You don't want to obviously have a miserable life, but the strife, the the challenges you face. And it could be the challenges of, okay, I want to start a business and I have the challenge and I'll get customers and that those are what really give life its flavor. And so you want to teach them these underlying philosophies and principles of it's not money you're after, it's, it's purpose. And it's, and then even further, it's okay, your life's good, but how do you make other people's lives good? And, and it's just, I, this is a big term they use back in the military, but it's like, you want to be an asset, not a liability. So teaching them like, okay, do you want to be a liability to the world and just exist? Or do you want to be an asset? You have to do your best to really instill that. But um, I mean, if your kid gets with the wrong crowd one time, they start doing drugs. Now he's on drugs. That's how thousands of kids die a year, just because great parents otherwise, but just wrong influence. It's it's almost like you're playing a lottery to a degree. Mm. You can try to mitigate any risk, but you always have like it could go either way. Yeah, you think it, I mean you can walk down the street today and get hit by a car. It's just there's always that 
that chance that something bad happens, but it's about stacking your deck the best way you can so that you can give them the best probabilities. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Are you guys like, one of the things that I'm nervous about when I have kids is that I will be kind of like a stress freak, nervous wreck all the time that they're going to kill themselves somehow. Do you feel that kind of concern or you're you're rolling with the punches? I mean, so he fell backwards for the first time ever like a month ago. And we were like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Like we're both freaking out. He fell on like a pad, but still like it's a baby. Yeah. Her heads are super sensitive and like you have to go in parenting with the knowledge that like babies are going to fall and you're not always going to be there to catch them it just happens you know that's just an example um you can choose to freak out about everything or you can choose to relax and realize that they're going to get themselves into situations that like you're not always going to be there for like dropping them off at a grandparents and they're not like eagle eyeing mm-hmm. like you would be um uh, and maybe like they hit their head on a toy or you know just yeah. little things happen but babies are going to be okay like they're built for this they're resilient somebody told me a story actually about taking their kid to the doctor they're freaking out they're like oh my god they're gonna think that I abused my kid he's got bruises all over his knees and all over his arms what do I do like the doctor's like I'm glad that your kid has bruises that means that they're actively playing and having a good time and exploring and being curious like they're actually being kids Mm -hmm. I would be concerned if they didn't have bruises on their knees and elbows and stuff like that because that means that they're sheltered and they're not experiencing and they're not testing out the waters, you know? Those great unknowns. Yeah. Because you can have the philosophy all you want, like, oh, I'm going to be this laid back parent. I'm not going to be overprotective and all that. But it comes down to like individual discipline and making moment by moment decisions to actually follow through with that. Because yeah, it's, everyone wants to be the perfect, like, right in the middle between protective but not overprotective you know the fun parent but also the disciplinary i think it just comes down to doing your best in the moment to come up with a good calculated answer but whenever he was first born she heifer is so much more on a day-to-day i'm like the most chill cucumber you put me in a chaotic situation and i'm just like haha that was cool like not stressed out i have adhd and chaos i'm like so comfortable but when it comes to him especially the first few months i was the most neurotic mess and she's like babe it's fine it's fine he's fine and for me it was just a matter of experience and time and it kind of went away um we still have moments like he gets sick or whatever and i'm like oh my gosh is he okay but you just kind of you compartmentalize you kind of take a step back take a deep breath like okay do the best you can or whatever. And it's, it's just life. You have to remember your own life and like the decisions you made and stuff like that. It's like, okay, if he never makes a mistake. You're, there's concern there. Like, because that he's means never he's experiencing anything. We had the opposite childhoods. Yeah. Her parents were away all the time. And it was kind of like, yeah, the oldest, you take care of everyone, then they're irresponsible. So it ended up becoming heifer. Okay you're eight years old and you're taking care of everyone where my mom um until we were you know until 2008 till the crash uh she was stay-at-home mom so she had no parental guidance i had a and i love my mom to death best lady in the world she is a helicopter so we had this very uh just polar opposite childhoods which is actually kind of cool because it's two experiences to draw on and kind of work through things. What she was saying is that's kind of how I cope with the anxieties of being a parent. It's like, one, it's not the best way to do it, but this is just the way I do it. I'm like, think about statistically, and I'm like, the chances your kid 
chokes or falls and cracks his head open or whatever is like more children make it through childhood to adulthood than don't so the numbers are on your side obviously you can't lean on that and be like oh they're fine like statistically but it's like for me my over analytical mind that's kind of something i do i'm like well you're being you're just being overly cautious odds are he's going to be okay there's a fine line between negligence and like not negligence that was was, write it down in your book most (laughs) philosophical quote of all time I was just going to say my mom's big thing. So she was like a helicopter parent when we were little in terms of safety, but she was a big proponent of let them fail, let them fail, because she was like, I'm not going to save your butt when it comes to homework or projects or anything like that, because you need to learn that your actions have consequences. So my brother historically would be the kid who like got his backpack out of the car at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night gotta do my homework kind of thing and she refused to like get on him about it if he didn't turn in assignments she didn't do anything like let him fail the class even though he should be getting an a in it and it i think that was really important so that's the one thing that i'm already aware of but obviously learning a lot but just like they need to be responsible for their choices as much as you want to help them i actually had a very uh pivotal moment of my childhood because i was like your brother I um like I, I don't really ever use this as an excuse it's a reality but I am like the poster child of ADHD mm-hmm. and I'm also very um non-conformist anti-authority all these things so I just struggled once you started getting homework in school I started just struggling and struggling and struggling and my parents were hard on me about it at first and then there was a moment one day where my dad was like hey there's a lot of people that succeed without school. You never have anyone ever really tell you that growing mm-hmm. up. It's like parents are afraid to tell their kids that because it's like, oh, if I tell them that, they're going to use it as an excuse. But I had this, when I'm even thinking, I'm just going to be a failure. Like I can't hack school or whatever. My dad comes up and goes, you know, he goes, here, I'm going to give you some names to look up. And it was like Richard Branson and all these entrepreneurs. He goes, look up their education. And like Richard Branson's like high school dropout. And then to show me all these billionaires, like no college degree, no college degree. He goes, now, don't get me wrong. These guys are very smart and half of them were in at Harvard or whatever. So it's not like they were dumb. It's not like they were just bums that were dropouts. But like, if you're worried that a degree is going to determine your life, it's not. He goes, your life is going to be harder and you're going to have to work much harder. You're going to be more creative. You're going to have to just be on your game. But he goes, but the rewards of that can be even greater than if you just get this job, get the time on it, be a lawyer or whatever. He goes, the rewards are much greater even than that. And he opened, it was one moment, he's like, you know, you could be an entrepreneur and blah, blah. And instead of, you know, your parents where you're struggling and all that, they just kind of give up on you. And it's my way or the highway. There is no other way. You're either going to be a good student and do all this or like you're a failure. He kind of let me know, like, you're not a failure. This isn't for you. And there's other options. And that's just, it's just a little extra tidbit I thought about, but that was like a very mm-hmm. pivotal, that moment doesn't happen in my life. Like I used to have teachers, like ever, I feel like a lot of people have this situation. They were like, I remember being in the assistant principal's office, getting in trouble. And they were like, like my mom's like, I don't know what he's going to do, blah, blah. And even she was like, don't freak out. They go, he's hyper intelligent. He doesn't do anything bad. He's, he's disruptive, but he's not, he's not doing drugs. He's not starting fights or whatever. Like he's like she's like he's gonna end up if he gets worse he'll end up in jail but he's either gonna be a millionaire or in jail and she goes and I don't think he's gonna end up in jail (laughs) that's kind of how it went but to have like that moment with my dad of like there are other ways if that doesn't happen yeah I probably end up in jail well I think boys specifically struggle with the public school system as it's designed like the fact that you're ADHD at 10 or 12 years old and you like are super energetic and you want to study anything, but you can't sit still for two seconds. Like it's not a crime and you're being forced to sit in a classroom, learn about something boring, something that's probably below your ability level. It's like, no wonder you're acting out. And then they they say you're a bad kid or you have to take these meds or something. So things like that, I mean, my brother has super bad ADHD as well. 
it's no wonder they act like that. So that's a huge reason where you're like, okay, homeschool, homeschool my kid, let him pursue all of his things. So he's not in a position like that. Yeah. I had a buddy, one of those funny moments I had, a, it was a history class and they had, you had to keep like this binder. It had to be color coded, write your vocabulary words three <laughs> times, write the summary of the lesson in your own words and blah, blah. And I have like a near photographic memory. So I'm like, I don't need to do this to study. Like, this is such a waste of my time. I can read something once and I understood it. And um, so I never did that. And that was like half your grade. So I'm like failing the class. But after the first test, I got the test done. And like, it was like a 20 question, multiple choice. I got it done in like a minute, which was like five minutes before the closest person. Um, and I turned it in and they're like, they're like, grading that they used to grade the papers in class like oh you got 100 percent and they're like how did you do that you literally sleep all day and i was like oh it's just easy i understand this stuff and then he's like okay i'm gonna watch you next time because i think you're cheating it was like this the second one was like a 10 20 question uh i think it's like 10 questions i got it done in 30 seconds 100 he's sitting right behind me he goes i'll make you a deal the next test it was like the the chapter review or whatever it's like 30 questions he goes if you get 100 percent, i'm gonna give you an a minus in this class. He goes, I'm not going to give you a full A because you're not doing your homework and all this, but he goes, I don't believe that you're actually like doing this. I was day of the test. I'm like sleeping. It was like the end of the class, sleeping all class. Oh, here's a test. Wake up test hundred percent. He's like, okay. He goes, you're getting an A. Like, this is just wild. Like, I don't know how you're doing this, but uh, I'm not going to punish you because you don't learn by doing this big history binder. And I was like, that's a cool teacher. Like mm -hmm. that was actually the public school system breaking a rule to actually like cater to someone to be the best they can without, you know, letting me actually like explore things in my own way. So I think the public school system fails a lot of people, but you always do hear there are some really good understanding people within it. But for the reason that most are, are why it's like, eh. And I went to a great public school. So it's like, eh, I don't, want to if my kid's a circle I'm not going to try to mold them into a square mm -hmm. that's kind of how I've always looked at it mm -hmm. would you ever want your kid to join the military if he wanted to go special operations yes not want but I wouldn't try to dissuade him I would bring up good arguments to it um but just from my experience it's not really a knock on the rest of the army, but it's not the same. It's like they could be completely different organizations. Um, mm. And just you're around the best guys in the world on so many different levels. They're, they're all athletic freaks. Even though it's the military, you're dealing with geniuses. Like we had got Ivy Leaguers, all that. We had pro, former pro athletes. And it's a bunch of, for the lack of better, I hate using this kind of terms because the internet's kind of ruined it, but you were around just... 100% alpha males, these extremely masculine, just good dudes. And it taught me and developed me into a way that if I didn't have that, it would take me a decade if I ever even got close to that level, just because iron sharpens irons. And I have a good or a, a philosophical belief of like warriors. And I think it's a very noble thing to do, especially if you're one of the best in the world. Um, so it's not something I would dissuade him from. I would, I don't want my son to get killed in combat, but at the same time, I know when I was in like dying in combat, like all of us viewed that as like, that was an honorable way to live. So if I ever did get that letter, I would be heartbroken, devastated. But in the back of my head, I'd be like, he, he lived a good, like he, he died doing something. He died the warrior way which is there's always been a romanticized view of that in a lot of our heads. Because uh, there's two things guaranteed in life. I know three, it's death, taxes, and being born. But re in reality, there's, there's two guarantees. You're going to be born and you're going to die. And you don't get any control over how you're born, but you do have a say in how you die. So if it was in something like that, he's doing a job he loves around guys he loves. And you don't whether the whatever war whatever's going on is in the public opinion noble or not like you can argue afghanistan iraq all that like i understand like a lot of it's a sham but there's still something sacred about combat it's the ultimate me versus you my guys versus your guys 
may the best man win. So there's, in my view, which I'm sure not most people wouldn't agree with, there is a nobleness if that's how you went out. I just have a unique view of it. We'll put it that way. I, I'm not against it, but I'm not going to encourage either. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to let him decide on his own. I have military, everybody in my family is military. So Mm. I'm not like, oh, it's terrible. I don't want to send him off. And like, I know the ins and outs of the military now, by now. If he wanted to do that, I would support it. But like Ox said, I would influence him more to be special operations. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want anyone listening to this and think I'm just like shitting on conventional forces and all that. Some of the best guys I know were conventional forces. If you weren't there, you don't really know one of those things, but just having been in it, it is, it's special. Mm. Like it is an environment of just, you struggle to be mediocre in places like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to be mediocre. You, you're just getting pushed on levels you never thought you could be pushed. You learn everything about yourself. Yeah. Or if you want to be a pilot. Yeah. You, you want to fly some F-22s or F-35s, you can do those. That'd be that'd be, that'd <laughs> okay, last kind of line of questioning. Are you guys planning on having more kids? The question is how many more? Are we? I heard 12 it? last time, so. We joke about it. <laughs> if it's feasible with her health and everything, sure. Uh, six is our, like, plan. Like, it's very feasible with how old we are and everything. Six is definitely what we're shooting for. We're going for number two right now. Yep. Oh, we're already in process. Yeah, it's so I would say we're trying, but I have to get my ovulation cycle down. It's really hard when you're breastfeeding because of prolactin. That keeps you from ovulating. It's like the natural form of birth control breastfeeding is. Um, So we're trying, but I haven't got my exact cycle down to a t like we did last time Mm. so one every two years or so yeah Yeah, i was i was gonna wait a little longer in between pregnancies but my doctor said it would be okay to start trying again by the six month mark so exciting i hear that two kids is a lot harder than one kid see i've heard two is easier than one and three is easier than two because i can if i if we had another baby like, let's just say tomorrow, like the initial, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. They don't really teach you how to do all this stuff and all these worries and all this. It's kind of like the joke why, like, the second child ends up like, fucked up. You're like, oh, or no, <laughs> it's better because it's like, oh, the first one, we got fucked up on this. But, like, like, the funniest thing is, like, the first time I ever changed his diaper, I'm sitting there acting like he's a porcelain doll. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> like so carefully putting the diaper on and all that. And they're they look at me and go, you know, we literally just yanked him <laughs> out, of almost out of her. Like you can lift his legs up and he he's not great. <laughs> so like the second child's kind of like that. It's like, but all these other little things, like, oh, you're fine. We so mentally, I think it'd be easier. Um, which I'm sure there's parents listening here, like, you're an idiot. I- <laughs> So this goes back to uh, one of our first conversations with how we have so much time on our hands and most parents don't. I think we have an advantage in it'll be easier, but I I mean, I'm talking out of my butt right now. I don't know. <laughs> oh, something else I wanted to add earlier in my ADHD brain just reminded me. We were talking about, you know, public, private, and all those schoolings. The thing we're actually struggling with is uh, athletics. Being our son, he's probably going to be a pretty good athlete. Like yeah. my whole family was college athletes. Um, Heifer over here had college offers, stuff like that. So if he does, if it's, we, we want him to play sports if he wants to play sports. And that's the biggest actual, so maybe if someone in the comments, is actually probably good to end with. If someone in the comments has a good way to navigate this of wanting, you know, homeschool as much as possible and all that, but also we want him to be able to play sports if he wants to play sports because he's my son. He'll go pro. So I don't don't want to take that away from him. I can speak from my experience. Like club sports had no relation to school. Like there were homeschool girls on my team for travel, soccer, travel, softball. You can totally do it. It's always the big debate. Do you want your son to play football? 
and uh, like, what about his brain and all that? And you live once. I know you get one brain and all that, but like, <laughs> I mean, if he wants to play football, then so be it. I was in a war fighting organization, so my risk adverseness <laughs> like playing football is kind of like it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, he's not. <laughs> I have a question on the sports topic though. So um, when I was growing up, I played like a couple. So I played soccer, tennis, and I was a gymnast. And at 10 years old, I was just down to soccer and tennis. And both of my coaches told me, you have to pick. You have to be a soccer player. Or you have to be a tennis player or you're going to be shit. So are you going to let them play whatever they want, different sports, different seasons, or are you going to kind of funnel them? into the collegiate machine and do a one sport we're going pro kiddo kind of thing it really just depends on potential there uh it's hard to say I yeah i don't have an answer on that because we don't because then you get some guys you get the freaking freaks of the world you get the Deion sanders the bo uh -huh. jacks and the nfl and playing baseball or you get lebron james i think most people know this but he was a like don't quote me on this, but he was like a five-star recruit for like playing tight end or some some position of football. Like, I think it's I played multiple sports, and but I and also I never too. I never went pro or anything like that. So um, it'll come down to, and that's where we were talking earlier about consulting with people that know more than us. That's where we get the opinion of of an expert there, and we're like, hey, like, what does he need to do? What's going to be the best for him? But it also has to come down to if he can't imagine if he's better at football, but he can't imagine not playing baseball. I'm not going to yank him away from something he loves. Yeah. Okay. Super cool. And again, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I'm glad to hear that Chad is doing well. And we're looking for baby number two of six. I'll plug you guys, but I don't really think you need to be plugged. I think you can find Ox somewhere on the internet. It's his account that can be pretty tough to find these days with not that many followers. But Heifer, where's your stuff? You know, I'm kind of, I'm moving more towards off the grid right now. Oh, yeah. Get back to me in a couple months. Okay. And then Oxy, is there anything you want people to be looking out for? No. No? Okay. Sounds good. But we'll make the announcement when we're ready. Okay. Okay. Bye. Thank you again. And have a great rest of your day. Hope you do too. Thank you Thank for you having for us. Jeez. You owe me a soda. Thank you so much for listening. This has been yet another episode of Common Sense. If you liked the conversation, please consider hitting that follow button on Spotify. Oh, and tell everyone you've ever met to do the same. And while you're feeling generous, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel? I promise I've ridiculed at least one of the identity groups you